couple of things before we begin our worship. First, I want to introduce our speaker for the evening and for tomorrow evening. His name is Reverend Norman Moore. He is a tenured evangelist in the Church of Nazarene. His wife, Vicki, is with him. Would you welcome him with a hand? <laughs> 26 years of on-the-road ministry, and you thought it took a long time to get out of college. But he's been serving God that way and has uh, been gracious enough to come to minister to us today and tomorrow. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the way your Holy Spirit's ministering to our hearts already as we've gathered in this special place at this special time. Now, Father, we're curious. What would you like to say to us? What would you like to do in our hearts? What progress would you like to achieve in our relationship with you and with each other? And in the particular focus of our, the call that you've put on our hearts to serve you, I pray, God, that what you'd like to accomplish tonight, tomorrow morning, and tomorrow evening, that you will accomplish with our full cooperation. Appreciate you, your presence in our lives, the opportunity to work together, and to look to your word for a few minutes. In Jesus' name. Glad you're here, a couple of you. Okay, cool enough for you. Vicky and I live in Southern California. It's a little different here, but a blessing to be together. I was home in between revivals, and I was sitting in a left turn lane, waiting for the Green Arrow. And I noticed the car in front of me was displaying a very loud, garish attention-demanding bump, bumper sticker in bold black print against the canary yellow background you know what it said it's all about me as I sat there waiting for the light to turn green I privately thought oh man what type of conceited arrogant self-enamored individual would it take to put such a goofy bumper sticker on the back of your car. A couple weeks after that, I was driving from Southern California over to Phoenix to preach in Scottsdale. And I was on Interstate 10 out in the desert communities, Palm Springs, Indio, if you know the neighborhood. And merging on the freeway in the lane just ahead of me was an old beat-up Chevy pickup. And the first thing I noticed was a big old yellow bumper sticker. Got any idea what it said? Yeah, you do. It's all about me. A few weeks after that, Vicki and I had a few days of vacation in Palm Springs. We were walking down Palm Canyon Drive, looking in the windows of those repetitive souvenir shops. In one of those windows, there was a mannequin displaying a very attractive and spendy pastel T-shirt. And stitched across the chest of that T-shirt, you got any idea what it said? It's all about me. Did you know that mannequin was even wearing a ball cap to match the T-shirt? And did you know, stitch across the crown of that cap, it's all about me. Well, it's okay to chuckle for a second about a goofy slogan. But the truth is, that's the value system of a whole lot of folks in our culture. But upon a deeper contemplation for the sanctified and the spirit-filled, 
for the dedicated and the consecrated disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Eventually, upon that consideration, there has to be a yuck from the inside. It says, no way, man. It's not all about me. It's all about him. And that's the flavor of Paul's encouraging words to a little baby church. We're going to look for a few minutes. Colossians, at chapter 1. Bible scholars tell us that a turned-on, gung-ho disciple named Epaphras, who was influenced by Paul in his ministering during the days in Ephesus, ended up in a tri-city area and was the principal player who planted a brand-new baby church. Some of you may be involved in church planting eventually. There are three towns about 10 or 15 miles apart clustered along the river. You've heard of Laodicea, maybe Herapolis. There's a third little tiny town there called Colossae. And historians have told us that it's probably factual that Epaphras showed up in the Tri-City area and was the principal player uh, initiating the new little church. And there's further evidence that some uh, heresies encroached on the little church, false teachings and doctrines. And they say it's highly probable that Epaphras made a trip to Rome, found Paul during his time of captivity, and got some one-on-one -on -one consulting about what in the world do I do with this situation. Kind of like a pastor going to the district superintendent's office, you know, and getting some, what do you do with this? Well, they tell us that Paul never visited this church in person. But one day the Holy Spirit moved on Paul's heart. He sat down at his table, picked up a pen, and scribbled out a few pages of encouragement to this little baby church. And that's what we have preserved for us here in Colossians. And for a few minutes this evening, let's look at chapter 1 at verse 9 and continue all the way through verse 12. You'd like to follow in your Bibles? Colossians 1 and the ninth verse. For this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Paul begins at verse 9 with the words, For this reason. Well, I'm a curious Bible student. I wondered what reason. The context bears the meaning. The reason that Epaphras showed up gave him a positive report about their strong beginning. For this reason. Since the day we heard about you, I'd not stop praying for you. And what he prayed for them is immediately and directly relevant and applicable to us here this evening. That God would fill you with the knowledge of his will. You look at that word fill, and you might get the mental picture of a container filled with liquid, like a glass of Coke or tea or a cup of coffee. A little homework on that gave me a different flavor, however. The word there, fill, doesn't so mean much mean fill a container, but saturate and soak. Uh, imagine taking a sponge and submersing it in a sink of water, pulling it up totally saturated, drenched, soaked, dripping. 
That's the flavor I found of that term translated there, fill. Paul was saying, ever since I heard about you, I hadn't stopped praying for you, that God would fill you like a soaked, driven, saturated sponge with a knowledge of his will. I need to ask you something. Do you have a clue what God's will is for your life? Some folks don't even have any idea what God's will is for them. And other folks who do have some idea, they're not on schedule in implementing total obedience to that will. You might be wondering, well, preacher, how in the world do you know God's will? I've got a promise for you. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. You curious about God's will for your life? Why are you here? Where are you headed? What's he got in mind? What's his strategy? What's his purpose? What's his agenda? He doesn't give us the whole picture all at once. Paul says, ever since I heard about you, I hadn't stopped praying for you. That God would fill you like a soaked sponge with the knowledge of his will. Through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He sandwiches two words side by side. At first look, seem to be twins. But they're not. They're first cousins. Wisdom and understanding. A little homework on the term translated wisdom means a mental, intellectual capacity to grasp his will. The word translated understanding specifically refers to decisive action. Put it in gear, step on the gas, and start moving in the direction of what you know he wants you to do. What's Paul saying here? Ever since I heard about you, I haven't stopped praying for you that God would fill you like a soaked sponge with the knowledge of his will, with a divine enablement to mentally grasp that will, and a divine enablement to put it in gear and start moving in that direction. He continues... At verse 10, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Well, I got to ask you, are you currently postured in your relationship with Jesus to where you can truthfully say you're living a life worthy of the Lord? Well, how does that play out? How do you live a life worthy of the Lord? What's that mean? I'm not smart enough to have the whole answer. But part of the answer is to acknowledge who he is and what he's done. Realize it merits our total abandonment of our own selfish will to where we no longer live all about me, but we live all about him. And the top priority of our heart is to please him and do his will, be the person he wants us to be. To live a life worthy of the Lord acknowledges who he is. Well, who is he? Jesus Christ, God's Son, second person of the divine trinity, co-eternal with, with the Father, born of the Virgin Mary. 33 years of sinless, perfect life of ministry and love, sacrifice, miracles. Ending it all by going up on a hill outside the city limits of Jerusalem and laying down on the cross and being nailed to that device where he suffered and bled and died, paying the price on Calvary with his shed blood so that you and I could be saved and go to heaven. To live a life worthy of the Lord acknowledges who he is and what he's done. The rest of that sentence says, and may please him in every way. The punctuation here after way is not a period. It's a colon. I remember from grammar school down in Pueblo where I grew up. When you find a colon in a sentence, it's indicative that there's a sequence, a series of itemizations to follow. And we have four. If I could give you, friends, four easily identifiable biblical truths that when implemented in our character and behavior would have a net positive effect in living a life worthy of the Lord that would please Him in every way? Would you all be interested? Well, let's look at them. 
and may please Him in every way, first bearing fruit in every good work, next growing in the knowledge of God, third being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and fourth He says, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. First He says, be a fruitful Christian, bear, bearing fruit in every good work. So, I need to cordially, politely, respectfully question all of us. Are you fruitful? Bearing fruit in every good work. And you might wonder, well, Norman, how do you be fruitful? Realize what Jesus was saying in John 15 in that true vine discourse. You remember that. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You abide in me, my words that abide in you, you bear much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done by my Father. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And you head out of here and land in your position of ministry that God has prepared for you. He wants you to bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How do you bear fruit? Abide in Jesus. Do a little homework on that word translated abide. It has some synonyms. Live in, dwell in, Stay in, remain in. Have your habitat or your abode in me. You know what it means? Let me be your address. Just for a second, think of your residential address. Where do you live? That's the same thing Jesus is saying in John 15. Let me be your address. In that abiding, unbroken habitat relationship with Jesus, a natural byproduct is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness in our ministries is not something we do by straining and determination and January 1 goal review. It's a natural byproduct of being connected with Him. What's Paul saying here? Ever since I heard about you, I had stopped praying for you. God would fill you like a soaked sponge with the knowledge of His will. Through all spiritual wisdom, the ability to grasp that will and understanding the ability to take action and start moving in that direction. And all that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Acknowledging who he is and what he's done merits a total abandonment of all we are to our own personal will and choice, shredding our own agendas, submitting to his plan and strategy for our lives, and no longer live all about us, but live all about him, to the point that we're bearing fruit in every good work. The second thing he says that contributes to living a life worthy of the Lord, that pleases him in every way, growing in the knowledge of God. Well, I need to ask you, how well do you know him? And you might wonder, well, how do you get to know him? Same way you got to know your best friend. Spend time with him. Your best friend on earth. Mine's sitting on the front row right here. Married 35 years. One time we were total strangers. But at Pasadena College, Back the spring after Noah and the flood. We met. Your best friend on earth one time was a total stranger, but you were introduced. We even have vocabulary that takes place. Sometimes folks will say, oh, we just hit it off. You ever heard that? I've often wondered, hit what off where? Sometimes they'll say, oh, things just clicked between us. And if you're real hip and trendy, you'll say the vibes were really cool. But your best friend on earth one time was a total stranger, but you were introduced and a fondness formed and a relationship gelled. An affection grew. 
The more you spent time with them, the more you liked them. How'd you get to know them? You spent time with them. You want to live a life worthy of the Lord? Are you interested in pleasing Him in every way? Paul says, be a fruitful Christian. But be a growing Christian. Growing in the knowledge of God. How do you get to know Him? Spend time with Him. If you ladies had an appointment with the beautician, you'd show up, wouldn't you? It'd be a priority. Hair, nails, whatever. You men, if you had an appointment with the garage, with the mechanic, oil change, tire rotation, whatever, it'd be a priority. You'd show up. What would it look like if we had a prioritized daily appointment with the Lord? Growing in the knowledge of God. How do you get to know him? Spend time with him. Third thing he says in that sequence, he says, be a strong Christian. Verse 11 being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. These are days when Christians need to be strong. Those going into ministry need to be strong. We need some courageous servants of the Lord, not compromising, concession-filled wimps. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might with two developing byproducts that you may have great endurance and patience. There's another couple terms that he's sandwiched side by side. At first look, they seem to be twins. But they're not. They're first cousins. Endurance and patience. What's translated endurance most specifically refers to a divine enablement to effectively, successfully cope with circumstances. External, environmental circumstances and situations. And why don't we just all admit in all of our lives we have current circumstances and situations. And the Holy Spirit, as we live all about Him, not all about us, a dedicated, consecrated, sanctified, spirit-filled life gives us an internal coping ability with difficult circumstances. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance. Coping ability with circumstances. And patience. That term, tweaked a little bit in its definition from endurance, refers to interpersonal relationships. One's coping ability with stuff outside our lives. The other's coping ability with people who won't go away. And why don't we just all admit in all of our lives there are difficult people? And I wouldn't bet you a burger that it's going to change too significantly for some of them. What do you do about it? Realize that coping ability, the circumstances of people, part of the strengthening work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives when we live all about Him and not all about us. But you know, there's a fourth thing He says in that sequence that's a byproduct of living all about Him and not all about you. He says, be a thankful Christian. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Well, okay, why don't we just admit it and get honest. Frequently, we have a habit and a tendency to whine and complain and feel sorry for ourselves. You ever caught yourself in a conversation where you tried to manipulate the direction of the talk, where hopefully you might vacuum some sympathy out of your bored listener, who were really waiting for you to shut up so they could tell you how bad they had it lately. Paul said, take it the high road. I remember reading in 1 Thessalonians 5, he said, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, how can that even be realistic or practical? 
Remember Romans 8, 28. And we know, didn't say speculate, didn't say wish, didn't say hope, didn't say conjecture, what did it say? And we know that in what? All things. Who? God. What? Works. Literally spends energy, makes effort, personally, deliberately, on your behalf. Causing an influence to come to bear where all things work together for good. Two qualified conditions for that promise to be valid. Love God, call according to his purpose. What's it mean to love God? Jesus said in John's gospel, if you love me, keep my commandments. Don't be saying you love God if you're walking in deliberate disobedience to his will for your life. Call according to his purpose. What's that mean? Absolute flawless perfection? No way. Cooperatively fitting into his plan for your life at the present time to the best of your ability. If you can check yes on those two qualifying conditions, you can know that that promise is immediately, currently valid for you. And God is now spending energy on your behalf, bringing an influence to bear causing all things to work together for good. And if you're living in that context of sanctified, spirit-filled living, you can literally give thanks in all circumstances. And perhaps one of the most healthy things that someone could do here tonight before you head out of the cool evening is to pause and bow and say, God, I'm sorry for whining and complaining and feeling sorry for myself. I want to relax in the relentless embrace of your tenderness and acceptance and knowing that you have a divine strategy and blueprint and even now you're working all things together for good I love you and I'm called according to his purpose so I deliberately give thanks in all circumstances joyfully giving thanks to the father and then there's a neat clause that closes that sentence who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light I was uh, intrigued by the term translated qualified. I found out it's a banking term used in financial deals. You ever heard of a cosigner? Somebody who guarantees the debt of another? That's the root meaning of that term. I graduated from East High School down in Pueblo in 1966. I got on a bus and headed to California began my ministerial training at Pasadena College, now Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego. I needed a car, but I didn't have much money. You been there? You had zero credit. I was only 18 in 66. Save your brain, I'm 56. <laughs> Going to be 57. Well, there's a caring layman in the church where I was attending. He had a soft spot in his heart for preacher boys. And you know what he did? He took me to the Nazarene Credit Union in Whittier and sat me down at a desk and helped me fill out a loan application for a car. And then at the bottom of the page, he pulled out his pen and he signed his name right next to mine, co-signer, guaranteed the debt. Then he took me back up to Pasadena, Colorado Boulevard, that's where you watch the Rose Parade on New Year's Day. And on the corner there's a car lot. We found our coolest Neatest, cleanest, 62 Pontiac Catalina, boring beige, four-door hardtop, 389 cubic inch, two-barrel automatic on the column. But it was really clean. It only had 26,000 miles. I liked it. So we bought it. You know what happened? I drove that 62 Pontiac 
back to the men's dorm. And there's no way in the world I could qualify by myself. But someone who's stronger than I signed his name at the bottom of the page. And Paul said, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. You see, there's no way in the world you and I could qualify to go to heaven. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. Paul said in Romans, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. You and I deserve to die and go to hell forever. But you read Ephesians chapter 2 and you'll find where Paul says, but God, who's rich in mercy, with a great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, he made us alive. He signed us up for heaven. He co-signed our app with his own shed blood on Calvary. What's Paul saying here? Well, in my view, he's saying, it's not all about me. It's all about him. Ever since I heard about you, I haven't stopped praying for you. That God would fill you like a soaked sponge with the knowledge of his will, with the divine enablement to grasp that will and the divine ability to put it in gear and move in that direction to the point that you daily live a life worthy of the Lord, acknowledging who he is and what he's done, pursuing a commitment of pleasing him in every way, specifically identifiable in daily behaviors and priorities where you're bearing fruit and you're growing in the knowledge of God. You're being strengthened, developing both endurance, coping ability with circumstances, and patience, ability to deal with folks. And thankful, not whining and complaining, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, taking the high road and relaxing trustingly in his tender, loving care realizing that he's the one who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. There may be some here who'd like to spend a minute or two visiting with the Lord about some timely, pertinent issue in your relationship with him. We'll share our closing song of invitation. And for those who'd like to, not because you must, but because you may, if you choose, I invite you to step to the aisle and close, closest to where you'll be standing and walk forward and kneel here you and the Lord can have a talk before you go. Please stand.